Mitch LaFawn here from Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. You are listening to Promoter 101. I'm Dan Steinberg. This is Promoter 101, episode 25. And this is a big one, Luke. We feature an interview from APA's head of music, Steve Martin, recorded live at South by Southwest Conference. And as if that wasn't enough, we'll feature Italy's biggest independent concert promoter, Claudio Trotta, as he closed up the week with the biggest personality in the UK concert promotion world, our friend, Mr. Ollie Rosenblatt. Talk about a trifecta. Damn, Luke. As Ollie will say, show me love, baby. Show me love. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us or email us at steiny at promoter101.net. A shout out to the people listening far and wide. Clearly, most of the people listening to us are in North America and the UK. But this past week, we had listeners in Ireland, Australia, Denmark, France, Japan, Thailand, Norway, Germany, Israel, Italy, Turkey, Hong Kong, Argentina, Bolivia, Poland, Spain, and Brazil. The data was provided by SoundCloud. Thank you so much for listening. That is amazing. Hey, it's Dave Chumley here from Primary Talent International in London. I'm really privileged to be on Promoter 101. The first leg of the Promoter 101 World Tour final show is coming to Canada April 19th. Toronto, break out the cold beer and bring on the Patron. For Canadian Music Week, we are doing it live, the full podcast taping with Golden Voices' Elliot Lefko and United Talent Agency's Jack Ross. Shit's gonna get real. And if you've missed us out on the road, fear not. We're going to be announcing the second leg of our world tour very shortly. We are always excited to come and do the podcast on the road. So if you want to see us, tell your university bookers or the conference organizers to bring their favorite podcast, Promoter 101, to town for a live taping. John Holiday, currently Hardly Strictly Bluegrass and Persist and Resist, formerly General Manager, President of Big Billy Incorporated, which was Slim's and the Great American Music Hall for 30 years. And I'm on Promoter 101. It's time for the news of the week. SMG turns 40 this week. Congrats to the entire team, all of our friends from Zane to Bob Papke, everyone across the board across the United States. A very, very happy birthday and anniversary to you. Amazon ticketing has cut a deal with AEG. Should be fun to see how that develops. I'm sure it'll be fantastic. Amazon ticketing, what could go wrong? CA announces 22 promotions this week. A lot of the comedy department people, congrats to everyone that has been promoted. Great news for you folks. You can finally afford to pay your rent. Or great news for your parents, that is, I guess. Turns out Wiz Khalifa laid some flowers and smoked a little weed as it appears he had a joint in his hand at the tomb of cocaine kingpin Pablo Escobar while in Colombia, as reported by Pulsar magazine. Sadly, the music world has lost Gary Arnold this week, an icon in retail music working at Best Buy, the barred part of two decades. Our thoughts are out to his wife, Carol, and the rest of the Arnold family. Luke, don't you think there ought to be a few books and movies that should be required reading and watching if you're going to work in this industry? I have a feeling there's a list in mind, Dan. What do you got? It's funny you should say. I think everyone should have to read Bill Graham Presents, the bio about Bill Graham. And if you wait long enough, the movie will be out shortly about Bill's story. And I think everyone should have to watch that and the following movies, Spinal Tap. It's mostly a comedy, but it's certainly written from a love for the business. Fear of a Black Hat. It's kind of the hip-hop version of Spinal Tap, but written from a very good place. Boiler Room. This movie teaches you how to use the phone, 
like a pro, almost famous, Cameron Crowe nails the experience of being on the road. And of course, the supermensch, the Shep Gordon story. You got to know those stories inside and out. There's two other books that I would love to add to this list. That's David Reisner's The Mailroom, Hollywood history from the ground up. It's about the mailroom all the way back from the 50s with Abe Fogelman through Doc O'Connor, all the way through Ari and everybody at Endeavor. It is an incredible story about the Hollywood history from Gavin Plone, all these names that you're going to throw across the board from not only just music, but entertainment, film, and television as well, too. The second book is Jerry Weintraub's When I Stop Talking, You'll Know I'm Dead. An incredible amount of useful anecdotes inside that book. Everybody should read it. And finally, there's a book that I love if you're an American psycho fan. It's called West LA Fade Away. It's a present day fiction story about a young agent assistant that's in the film and television business. It is literally, as a fictional piece, not that far off from what your actual experience is as young people in the business. I couldn't recommend it more if you're both a horror slash freak personality in the music business slash if you want to learn something. All those lines merge themselves together at one point during that book, and you'll be frightened and scared to learn how much actually is true about the music business in that book. Wes L.A. Fedaway, Jordan Akun, check it out. That's a wrap-up for the News of the Week. Steve Strange, X-Ray Turing, Promoter 101. It wouldn't be Promoter 101 without the Tweets of the Week. Let's see what Dan has stirring about the pot this week. RIP, Print Media. Time of death, 4.04 p.m. PST, March 30th, 2017. I will miss the way that you ended up on the floor of my car, rolled up into a ball. The page full of concert announcements with massive on-sale Fridays at 10 a.m. banners across the top. You were the social media before the Friendster, MySpace, Twitter, and Facebook stole your thunder. After 26 years this week, we stopped running print in my home market. We've moved that money to other avenues, mostly online TV and radio. But sad to say, it's come to the point where print's gotten smaller and smaller, and now it's going to fade away. R.I.P. Print. When you're working on a tour run and one single date is holding you up. Yeah, this is more of an agent or a manager headache normally. But as a tour promoter, as I route a number of tours, it seems that it's always that linchpin date that you wind up waiting for. Everything is connected to to lock it up. Drives you fucking batshit. I'm a big believer in the spirit of the deal. If something has to change in good faith and is discussed and agreed upon, it's all fair game. However, forcing a change of deal points without approval or discussion, burn some bridges. Had an agent this week that was a really good friend and asked me to do a show. He sent me the deal points he wanted. We gave him exactly as he wanted. He challenged the date. We reconfirmed he was happy with the deal. He contracted the run. And then 8 p.m. the night before we were announcing the dates, the manager had emailed me saying she didn't like the deal structure. She wanted to change everything. And it would be a shame if my dates weren't in part of her press release because we didn't play by her rules. I had expressed that we had a contract and we did do the deal that was agreed upon and that we wanted to work out something that was making the artist and everyone else happy, but we certainly wanted to be part of the announcement. She told me it was a little late for that. So the dates went away. We pulled our shows. They never got announced. We quickly told the venues and the ticketing companies and the staff to make sure that the announcement didn't happen. It was really sad because I think this could have been a long-term relationship with this artist, only to find out bad communication and a forceful hand caused these dates to go away. 
I really think it's important to think about how you work with people long term, because here's a manager that I'm going to look at all of her acts moving forward and think this is a liability. This person didn't take the time to look at the contract or the deal until the night before it was announced, even though it had been confirmed. Something was amiss. This one was submitted by Jack McFadden from Austin's ACL. Intern. Can I have holds for every Wednesday through Sunday from September 2017 until September 2018? Thanks. Thanks for sending that one in, Jack. Yeah, it's amazing. I've seen some stuff like that in the past. The balls on this kid. When a manager suddenly believes that venues will waive merch rates completely across the board nationally. Yeah, this was fun this week, but I respect the hell out of the manager. I think he's great. Probably shouldn't get too far into this one. This was 100% me. When a mail agent emails you, I'm not wearing any panties. Ah, what can I say? That shit really happens to me. That does it for this week in Promoter 101 Tweets. Hi, this is Jason Miller from Live Nation, SVP of International and Emerging Markets. You are on Promoter 101. This week's feature interview was recorded live as a part of the South by Southwest Music Conference in Austin, Texas, featuring the head of music and APA, Mr. Steve Martin. This is the Promoter 101 interview of APA's Steve Martin at South by Southwest. Thanks for coming out. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Steve is a super agent. He's extraordinary in many ways. Early on, he was on concert committee at State University of, of the University of New York. He was uh, an independent booking agent at Music Business Agency. William Morris bought you out. Yeah, yeah. And then he moved over to be the president of the North American office of the agency group, which was Started great. in New York with just uh, four agents or so. Peter Schwartz was there before I was, actually. So it's kind of urban myth that I had started the agency group in the States. It's not true. I had referred... But you'd come over to be president. Carol Lewis' assistant, Peter Schwartz, over to Neil Warnock. And he and my former assistant, Mike Donovan, had started the office with a guy, Steve Shank. And I came in about a year later, um, after the William Morris Triad acquisition. But that built in Toronto, which you that were involved built with. built into L.A., then Toronto. Yeah, it was, a, it was five agents in a room about twice the size of this stage in one office that built into about 65 agents in New York, Toronto, L.A., Nashville. That went back and forth. It was a nice period of growth over... And you were connected to the London office. London and Malmo, office. Sweden, yeah. So really, London was the home office. But it was really the company. first agency that was a global agency. It was the first one that was interconnected, that talked to each other. William Morris and CAA had offices, but they weren't really connected in the sense that agents traded information and looked to exchange ideas about who was coming up, who was signing what was happening in Toronto, what was happening in Winnipeg, and it was the only kind of agency at the time where the guy that discovered Nickelback in Toronto that developed into a worldwide act could maintain an interest in that band worldwide. Or Rob Zifarelli, who discovered City and Color, could look after that band worldwide, and it was the only place where you could sit with a manager at the time and develop a worldwide touring plan which was very effective in conversation. so crazy it might work. Now, that agency's no longer <laughs> around. Right. So, call it a coincidence or not, Steve left that agency, and they had to be bought out a little while later, and they became UTA. Yeah. 
but let's not, we'll, we can call it a coincidence, but I don't know if that was necessarily the case. I know you won't take credit for it. No. But you went over to APA and... That was a simple math equation. Not only I left, many other, about a dozen agents left. And uh, again, it's a simple math equation. Not everybody joined me at APA. A couple guys went to William Morris, uh, to ICM, to Paradigm. But about a dozen agents, I guess at about 300 artists left within 12 to 18 months. Now looking back it seems like it took 30 seconds but it was <laughs> Andy left then you left and it was a progression of one guy after another but it, it didn't happen it wasn't this moment where everybody simultaneously picked up and walked out it was contracts Correct. coming up and we like had, to avoid litigation wherever possible. Okay so but you ever will get the band back together for a big part of that. You know, it's people that you work with and trust over a period of time and putting together. APA already had a very nice infrastructure, uh, a fantastic infrastructure in television and literary and world-class comedy department. It doesn't get talked about a lot, and certainly because we all kind of stay in our own fields and see our own tunnel vision. But on the comedy side, we represent Amy Schumer, Aziz Ansari, Louis C.K., Eddie Izzard, I mean, the list goes on and on and yeah, on. Yeah, you're a powerhouse in the comedy world. Yeah, I mean, they do an amazing job there. Not to mention, Troy Blakely was already over there. Not I was going to say, there was already an infrastructure with Troy Blakely, Josh Humiston, Andrew Ellis, Jamie Kelsall. You know, so they had some really good people there. And Jim, the head of the company, was looking to expand that in a bigger way. So, and in expanding it, it's like putting together a sports team in a lot of ways. It's trying to find veterans who can have some consistent vision and also teach rookies coming in. It's picking good rookies, then you hope the rookies get hot and get lucky, as Dave Kaplan did when he came to the agency group and had a little band called the White Stripes. Ken Megalish had a little band called Creed. You know, Nickelback, two people passed on. I notice when you do these examples, you never do the club back. The little lack named Melissa Farrick stayed Melissa Farrick. Well, no, but when when Kaplan came in, the White Stripes were a club act. Right, and became the White Stripes. The example wouldn't have worked had you used, like, the Detroit Lions or something. You know, it had had to be a winning project. (laughs) They help. The identification helps, yeah. And, you know, uh, besides working and overseeing this huge department, you're talking, like, 1,500 clients and a ton of offices now. APA's in Nashville. You guys just moved to Bigger Digs. We're just in America at this point and London. We opened up an office in London about a year and a half ago. We represent Pinewood Studios, which for those movie geeks will mean a lot. It's where all the, everything from Stanley Kubrick to James Bond to Harry Potter to Star Wars are filmed to non-movie people. It won't mean anything, but it's an interesting base to grow from in the UK because they're really a household brand in the UK. They're a very iconic brand, Pinewood Studios. Now, it seems like a bunch of the American agencies are now really sinking their teeth into the UK and the rest of the world and trying to open up there. We've seen it with mm-hmm. Paradigm going into Coda. William mm-hmm. Morris opened over there. CAA is now there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, UTA has taken over the agency group, so they're mm-hmm. there. You guys definitely have an international presence, as does ICM, where they book from the States, but they're booking internationally. So we're seeing more and more of that. Do you think that that's a development state where you're going to do more of that? If you guys need to have feet on the ground in, in the UK? Ideally, I would like to because really it's about artist development. It's finding new artists, hopefully, to develop, whether in the UK worldwide or France or Germany or Sweden or Australia. We have a couple of acts right now from Australia that look like they have a really good shot. So, yeah, and the world is a village. You know, and with the more an artist can play, our job is to get to have an artist make a living playing their music and performing their art in one way or another. And the more you can expand that, the better off the artist will be, the client will be, so that they don't tour, have to tour America too much. They can go tour South America, Asia, 
Europe, et cetera. So let's talk about some of the, first of all, you handle personally Dolly Parton, The Scorpions, Dream Theater, Billy Bragg, David Gilmore. You've got a couple cool acts. Oh, yeah, they're fun to work with, yeah. The thing that you have the advantage of now at APA that UTA didn't have, or UPA has, but the agency group didn't have, is you've got a branding department, you've got a film department, mm -hmm. you've got your full service agency. How has that affected your ability to go sign acts? It certainly enhances it because I found that at APA there's a lot of music freaks there. So the fact that they can, you know, work or present an opportunity, because it doesn't necessarily always come together, but to bring an opportunity to a, a Dolly Parton, to a David Gilmore, to even D David Johansson, oddly enough, or Ray Davies, um, is, is, makes them happy too. And it's a real, between us, we kind of represent the catalogs and the intellectual properties between Brian Wilson, so we have the Beach Boys, we have the Kinks with Ray Davies, we have with David Gilmore, Pink Floyd, with Robert Hunter, The Grateful Dead. The kind of the list goes on from down to Squeeze and other really interesting things like that. So there's a lot of conversations going on, whether they're Broadway projects or film projects or things like that that are fun to work on. Now, it seems like the record, I'm sure everybody's aware the record business is hurting. It hasn't been what it once was. You guys are all in on that, right? All right, good. So the acts are making their money on the road. Mm -hmm. you, you, you're the drug dealer of choice when it comes to acts. You've got the road money. You're the key to that. How has that changed how much volume the acts are on the road and how much traffic there is for you? It changes a fair amount, you know, but it's a... Artists tour for various reasons. They tour because they want to. They tour because they have to. There are some artists that don't need to, but the greatest drug that they ever have is this. Dolly, Dolly Parton doesn't need to work. Bruce Springsteen doesn't need to work. Bob Dylan doesn't need to work. Paul McCartney doesn't need to work. They have more money than they could buy this city five times over. But there is literally the drug you can't buy. And that's whether it's 500 people or 50,000 people standing there and applauding. And that's a feeling that nobody else can experience. And it's a fascinating dynamic to see that. You have some artists that don't care about that, that they don't have that genetic makeup. David Gilmore has no ego about it. He doesn't care. <laughs> he loves to play and he appreciates the audience, but he doesn't have that kind of drive that he has to have that, as opposed to Roger Waters, where he'll go play Dark Side of the Moon, he'll play the wall, he'll play whatever you want. He wants to tour. You know, they're very interesting di dichotomy in that. And artists now need to tour to make, it, make a living. And that's our job to do that. Now, with somebody like Gilmore, where you are the agent and Roger Waters, where you're not, but they're basically selling very similar product with the Pink Floyd catalog. Yeah. Is there coordination between the camps and trying not to be on top of each other? Or you, no. you guys are just all hoping. No, there, there really isn't any coordination. David... It seemed like know, it worked out pretty well where they toured two years ago. You guys toured last year. David's like Haley's Comet. You know, when he plays, you better see him because he doesn't, again, have that thing that he, if he has a new album and something new to say artistically, he'll go play. Um, the last two, their tours were 10 years apart. So we're not really worried about oversaturating the market. And the last <laughs> tour was supposed to be originally 11 cities, and then he changed his mind just to make it four cities. So he likes to play, he just doesn't like to travel that much. Yeah, because he played, a lot of artists he played multiples like in most cities, though. Yeah. Okay, now, obviously the big artists are fun to talk about. Let's talk about how an act gets on your radar. A small act or a big act? What do you mean? Well, let's start with the, let's start with the small act. What does it take for an act to get through the door. A perfect example is an act that one of our, our new agents, Susie Jang, brought in. They're called Baskery. I think they're playing 12 shows here this week. Three girls from Sweden, two sisters. Maybe they might be all three sisters, actually. And they reminded me, I saw them in New York a few weeks ago. They reminded me of kind of the female Avett brothers. 
One of Dawn Holiday's favorite acts, by the way, the Ever Brothers. Just with a lot of intensity and spirit and original songs and clever presentation. So, and I think they're going to have a great future because they're entertaining. Do they have it live? They make a connection with the audience, yeah. And ultimately, that's why people come and that's why people bring their friends because the artists have to make a connection with the audience. That's why people go to shows. They do that either to discover something that they're going to make a connection with or make a connection with the people around them, even if they don't know them, but they can look at somebody and go, what, isn't that great? It really is either cognitively or subconsciously a connection with people and art that makes people go to the theater, that makes people go to museums. You know, and it is that drive to get people out and connected. It's certainly an addiction if you're into live music, as I'm sure all of you are, because you're here. It starts there. Yeah. It's about the music. Some people don't, don't get it. It's a static thing, right. but if you love it, you love it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, there's nothing that can replace. I don't, and as, as much fun as virtual reality is and is going to be, and is certainly going to be enhanced, there's nothing that's going to replace that feeling of a pretty girl standing next to you or the guy standing next to you that you want to talk to in the environment there and feeling the music and smelling the beer and feel, you know, hearing the sweat, feeling the sweat and smelling the sweat of the artist, et cetera. You know, those are visceral things that can't be replaced. Okay, well you spend your time split up between a couple things. You're not just an agent, you, you are in charge of acquiring new agencies and hiring new agents. Mm -hmm. So that's... Well, along with other people, but yeah. How do you spend that time between booking tours and then spending time building the agency? I don't. It comes every day is different, which is the appeal to me, you know. There's some days that I'll, right now I'm working on some things for the fall for uh, the Scorpions and Ray Davies and Squeeze, but then I have, you know, great associates like Steve Ferguson's working on Squeeze and Andy Summers will work on Ray Davies and Bruce and Andy handle Brian Wilson. So, and in the afternoon I'll have a meeting with somebody who's looking to join the agency or a company in Canada that's looking to be acquired or whatever, you know, so really there's no hard and fast rule how that works, which is good. I would hate that otherwise. I mean, I'm very fortunate that I'm, I am extremely grateful for the job that I have and that what I do every day. I still look forward to going to work every day. Now, so if a young fortunate. agent wants to be hired, is that something where if they just pick up the phone and call you and say, we want a job, will you pay attention to me? Is that how they start that process? Or no. they have to be creating? <laughs> well, assuming they're a real agent. Good question. No, it's a good no, question. assuming they're a real agent, how does that start? Do you, do you have to discover them on your own, or does it, is it, does it bring it the same warrant if somebody were to... I don't want to take anybody in particular, for example, but if somebody were, is creating some heat and they're like, I would really like to be with the bigger company, is that something you want to hear from those guys? They're legitimate. It definitely is. You know, when I go back to creating an agency like a sports team, you'll find people, the, the agency business isn't that hard. I'll clue you into something. There are people that walk and chew gum, that make, can't walk and chew gum, that make a very good living. They're not particularly bright. Will you tell us who they are? No. Uh, but... <laughs> What I look for are young agents that are entrepreneurs on their own, right? Like I was, like Andy Summers was, Bruce Solar was, Christian Bernhardt, people that ran their own companies, Andrew Ellis, ran their own companies and have a sense in that drive. We can teach you the music business. Yeah, I can teach you the agency business. It's not that hard, as I was saying. You have to bring ambition. You have to bring drive. You have to bring a vision of what you want to do and how you want to represent artists and what scope and scale, you want to do that. If you have those things, we can help fill in the blanks for you. But those, that's what you have to bring to the party. Because it is a unique business. There's a lot of years where you, you kind of don't make a lot of money. The hours are terrible. 
you're out in clubs till you know one two o'clock in the morning finding the holy grail or the golden ticket that you think will hopefully change your life and then on any given night it might happen was the last time you had a club till two o'clock in the morning last night <laughs> the Avery Brothers. You South, South by. <laughs> Just kind of. All right, fuck it. Let's um, let's talk about signing some of the bigger acts. Now, some of those acts that are established, you have to be of a certain level in the business to even get a, a call if they're making a change. And you oh, seem right. to get those calls. How do you, how do you get into that level into that loop where you're getting a call when somebody's making a move like a Scorpions? By not the Scorpions are kind of a unique uh, example. He retired, but yeah. Um, he died. <laughs> oh, Nick Karras re retired. Yeah, yeah. But um, you kind of once you have a body of work established, and basically not screwing up, that other people can look at and go, well, he took this career and didn't put it in the toilet. They've either maintained it or grown it. You know, it does come from the body of work that. And people often think, well, he looks after Ray Davies and the intellectual property and Brian Wilson and Dolly Parton, et cetera, et cetera. You can't be a complete idiot. Let's have a chat with him, more or less. We do a quick speed round? Uh, sure. All right. AEG or Live Nation? AEG. Lennon or McCartney? Lennon. A street fight between Marshall Blasick and Kara Lewis. Who wins? <laughs> <laughs> well, I like them both, but I'll take Kara every time. <laughs> Tim Hortons or Dunkin' Donuts? Timmy's. Timbo's. <laughs> Irving Azoff or God? <laughs> I thought they were one and the same in many people. In LA, they are, they are interchangeable, I thought. <laughs> Keep going. Okay, so as you move forward, you've got Scorpions going out. You just yeah. had, do you, you came off your biggest year, right? I mean, it had to be with how Between big Gilmore was. And David's tour was extraordinarily fun. Scorps were. Dolly did 64 shows, which was amazing. I mean, and, she never worked, she was out. Yeah, uh, the stars lined up quite nicely last year, yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about that. This tour was much bigger than she's ever been in America as far as numbers and growth. Like, right. she catapulted her gross. How did you guys know that was going to be there? I didn't. I took a chance. I rolled the dice. That was not the conversation we had when you called to sell it to me. Well, no, of course not. Because, you know, uh, agents ideally uh, on both levels with their artists and with promoters are con men. And I mean that in the, in the purest sense of the word. It's not in the, in the pejorative sense, in a negative sense, but we have to project confidence. We have to project confidence. You ask how we acquire an artist. We have to give an artist the confidence that, we, that our consultation with them is going to be the best advice possible for their long-term interest. And that it's not an accident. And Ray, Ray Davies actually spotted this and was nice enough to say this about eight, ten years ago. They know that it's not an accident when all the shows do 90% or 100% business. You know, that a lot of thought goes into playing the right venue in the right night at the right ticket price, et cetera, et cetera. And that's where Ellis and Andy and Bruce and Josh Elmiston, you know, raise that from just a mechanical job to an art form. It is our form of art to give the artist the confidence to believe in what we can do. We project that confidence onto the promoters and say, okay, we really think it'll do this, this, and this. And you'll find out quickly what's right and what's wrong. I mean, Dolly, I got 62 out of 64 shows right, which I was very pleased at. They either sold out or they came within 90%. New Jersey, I got wrong because the ticket price was too high because they wanted to pay a lot of money. So it did well. 
And your show I got wrong because it sold out too damn fast. You didn't get it fast. wrong. <laughs> you, if it sells if out, I, you didn't get I it wrong. If I sell out in a day and it's four months away, I go, damn it, we should have played a bigger place. I got I made wrong. a shitload of money. I guarantee you didn't do it wrong. <laughs> that is exactly what promoters want to see. Show selling view, out too quick. From my point of view, I got that one wrong. Yeah, from hers too. But right? it's a good way to get wrong. As a, it's a good thing to get wrong as opposed to we sold 200 tickets in a 5,000 seater. So. You don't often hear agents complaining that you sold their show out too quickly. I'll take that as a compliment. So you travel nonstop. You're seeing over agents in multiple offices and you managers and talent all over the world. And you're traveling all the time. You're on an airplane either internationally or throughout the domestic country. How much time are you spending out of the office? Because you're always gone. You're working. But I could be at the movies. You don't know. I, mean, I could be anywhere. I travel a fair amount. I don't mind it. Thank God. You know? Is it every other week? Not quite. Probably, it probably averages three months out of the year. Last year was a lot. I probably did 160,000 miles, but it was a, you know, it was a lot of artists on the road. I find that fun. I find it fun because it's fun talking to people, either at venues or shows. Because you know, the interesting thing is, and I, I found this interesting about myself. I know everything that I know. I can't learn anything from myself. But I can learn something from talking to you. I can learn something from talking to you. I can learn something from talking to you. Right? That's how that works. Or reading something by somebody else. It's the only thing I can do that I find interesting that I can expand my knowledge of whatever that is. Talking to the truck driver on the tour can be as interesting as talking to the guitar player oftentimes. And it doesn't mean I'll agree with the points of view, but it's interesting hearing those things. It's the only way, I think, to learn is by not sitting in, around all day in a shell. Motion yeah. creates emotion kind of thing? Yeah. yeah. So you never really lose your cool. Like, even when you're upset, I've, I've never seen you freak out, and I know when you're unhappy because the tone changes, but mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't really yell. That's not true, but I haven't yelled at you, which is good. <laughs> I appreciate that. But you tend, to, you tend to keep your cool, and you can work through pretty much anything. It's only the music business. It's not that important <laughs> overall. <laughs> I mean, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? I mean, but I mean that seriously. You have to have some perspective on these things. And unless there's something egregious going on in terms of neglect or theft or something like that, yeah, I think it's important to have perspective. We're not curing cancer. Let's do a little word association. The first thing that pops into your head. Well, you're doing psychology for, on the side? I'm going to show you some pictures your later. You're going to tell me what you think. Sure. Uh, sure. Bill Graham. Love Bill Graham, a legend, and uh, I, I cherish my relationship with him. We were just talking about this, that's, that it's going to be 25 years since he passed. Is it really? Uh, yeah. Uh, one of my fondest memories was coming into my office at William Morris and seeing Bill sitting behind my desk on the phone dressed in a gangster uniform, like three-piece suit gangster uniform, which was quite stunning because he never really didn't wear suits that much, actually. So number one, sit, sitting him, seeing him sitting behind my desk in this was like I'm so bizarre. And I was like, God, nice to see you. Why are you dressed like this? And he was in town filming Bugsy, that he was so proud of the fact that he got to actually act and dance in a film. Because he'd been in a couple of movies before. He'd been in the Doors film, and he'd been in another film, but he basically playing himself, playing a concert promoter. But he was so happy about that, and just seeing that like kind of look of satisfaction on his face about... And he nailed that part. He's he was great terrific. at Bugsy. He was terrific. And so I know I have a, a great soft spot for Bill. We talk about somebody that could yell. But it was a badge of honor. You didn't really make it in the music business until he had torn you a new asshole at least once. So it's the same something. badge of honor if Michael Cole yells at you? Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> Word association. CAA. 
A lot of respect for CAA. I mean, Rob Light, I like a lot. I've had, always had a good, good relationship with Rob. I have a lot of time for Rob Light, yeah. Springsteen. Well, that's a soft one. Two days ago, and this is gonna say, make me sound really old, I don't know if I should say this, but two days ago, some college buddies and I were change, exchanging information, and I didn't recognize that somebody else did. It was the 40th anniversary of when I booked Bruce Springsteen in college. That's how fucking old I am. But it was a fun <laughs> show at the time, and it it's sold out. It's a great out. picture, too. We'll post it on it, the website. It if you sold out it. the day of the show at a 12 or $15 ticket. It kind of crawled to a sellout. And I had already been a fan, and it was 1977, obviously, 40 years. I'd already seen him probably 10, 15 times, and it was a miserable experience. It was just the production was a problem, and I was getting blamed for giving them wrong information, which the venue gave me. I'm a college kid. How could I know how tall this thing was? I got the event. Mark Brickman, who's then become a very dear friend of mine, uh, was Springsteen's lighting designer at the time, and he was just in a miserable rage all day. The tour manager was miserable. We gave Clarence food poisoning. <laughs> he had to go to the hospital right after the show. So it was just one of those things, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> it was one of the shortest shows he'd ever did. He clocked in under two hours. Springsteen can do a short show? Because Clarence was sick. <laughs> he was going to get vomiting. So it was very funny. But yeah, 40 years ago, Tuesday. How about was, Frank was Barcelona? Again, you know, great affection and respect for the guy. I don't know, it just that I've got a curiosity, and I bet not many. Show of hands, who has ever heard that name, Frank Barcelona? Yeah, I'm not surprised. And most people under 40 wouldn't know. Well, he's been gone now for, what, three, four years, but he's at been least, inactive yeah. in the business for at least 10 when they sold to William Morris. At least 10, yeah. yeah. But he, would, he had Springsteen, Petty, The Who, Van Halen, it goes he on. He had everybody. He was the architect of the contemporary touring business in the late 60s and 70s. So, and he kind of built it, not to dispersions with his name, but he kind of built it on a mafia system. You had territories. You know, he designated Don Law, could have had all his acts in Boston. Bill Graham had all his acts in San Francisco. Arnie Jam had Chicago. The Belkin family had uh, Ohio. Larry Maggot had Philadelphia. Barry and had you Denver, were in yeah. Barry Fay had Denver, and you were, and Jack Boyle had the kind of the southeast, and you were in a hundred percent. So you got you didn't get to pass on acts. The Springsteens, the Van Halens. He must have had twenty arena acts on the roster at one time and stadium acts. But when he called you to do the Pusat Dart Band and pay him five thousand dollars, and you were going to lose, there was no question about it. You did it, and the books did balance at the end of the year. And it was that structure that, cr that he created that then ultimately Bob Sillerman bought up that structure to create SFX, which then became Clear Channel, which then became Live Nation. But it was buying like Frank's architecture. Uh, there's going to be a documentary coming out about Frank and these guys that I'm um, uh, involved with. It's debuting at the New York Film Festival. This isn't a plug. It's just an interesting thing for those people interested in it. I know the Bel Belkins and Larry Maggot and Ron Delster, all these people are interviewed. Frank and June, Bar I'm sorry, June and uh, Nicole Barcelona are interviewed in it also. If you've ever seen the movie Almost Famous, which I'm messing most of you have, yeah? There's a scene where the promoter is ranting that you'll never work again. I'm going to call Frank Barcelona. Mm-hmm. He's telling the act they're done because he's in the Frank Barcelona <coughs> network. And the road manager comes back and says, you don't know Frank Barcelona. That's how powerful he was in the 70s and early 80s. He was the guy. Yeah. And you couldn't piss him off. But if you could get on the phone with but him. But he was the nicest guy around. You know, he was truly lovely and loved hanging out and talking and 
would talk about art and theater, and he was really an intellectually and culturally curious guy his whole life, you know, which was fascinating about him. Yeah, he left Nicole quite an art collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you talked about, very early in my career, getting off the phone and meeting people. Mm -hmm. That if you had a drink with someone and you were a face when they thought of your name and not an email address, mm -hmm. they were going to sell you a show over the guy that was an email address. Mm -hmm. I said that to you? Yeah, you said so long as they didn't think you were a prick. Right. <laughs> like, like it they, sounds they, like they, something I would say. I don't recall <laughs> saying it, but it sounds like something I would say. <laughs> it, was, it, it was very We were backstage at a Crash Test Dummy show. Wow. Okay. But, yeah, you have to make the connection, because if there's four guys fighting for a show and all the offers are basically the same, right. but you're the only face they recognize when they look at their email address or the offer, they see your face or they see an email address, you'll get the show. That's true. Yeah. And I well, do probably more road models than any other promoter in the, in the world. Okay. <laughs> so it's like I've taken that to heart. It's something, but as far as... Do you, you think that has paid off? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. That's interesting. Okay. But I think that's something you live by. You see your artists, you're traveling, you are at shows, you're in offices, you take meetings. Mm -hmm. You physically go out of your way to make sure that there is a social interaction with as many of those people as possible. <laughs> the only reason I'm laughing, last year I, I flew to see David Gilmore play the Albert Hall and then I was going to Chicago for the Scorpions and David Gilmore's manager is a lovely guy. I said, why are you flying to Chicago? Because it was about an 11 hour flight and I was just going for the Flying in the night before going to the show and then flying back to New York. And he said, why are you going to the show? And I said, I'm basically flying 11 hours to Chicago and then four hours back to New York to go, have a great show, guys, and what a great show. <laughs> but that was essentially why I was going <laughs> to all that time. And they appreciate it. You know? Do you book Gilmore for the world? No. Just U.S. and Canada. So even though it wasn't your show, you still want to have the interaction because that was important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, I love to watch him play. You know, he's a pretty good guitar player. Who are the people that you look up to? You know, it's in a car. Yeah, it's a good question. Thank you. You know, but I, I, my mind goes through a time thing. It was in the past, present, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's a, a lot of people currently that I love what they're doing. I still love what Frank Riley's doing. You know, Frank is as ambitious and uh, clever and driven and has great taste in acts to Tom Windish. What he started from scratch is that type of thing we were talking about before, the independent entrepreneurs. I have uh, a lot of respect for that. Uh, and a lot of the young kids in the office who are out till 2 o'clock in the morning, because you're right, I'm not out there all the time, but Jason Parent and Greg Orrible, I have a lot of uh, respect and admiration for what they're doing. You know, Because I see myself there 25 years ago, 30 years ago, and having that passion for it. Yeah. Now, you come to South by Southwest religiously, and I find that of the major agencies, if somebody's speaking, which you don't do every year, this is a, this is a rare yeah. thing. So you, have, and you started something back at the agency group where you made sure that there were agents, senior agents in the room supporting the other agents, whether they're younger or older bands, you, were, you always had the team was there to support the younger agents. And I don't see that at other agencies. And I know you've carried that on in APA, where you'll see agents going to shows, regardless of who the RA is, the team is there to support. I think it's important when you can, yeah. You know, but that's also something that Andy and Bruce and Ellis also strongly believe in, you know, as, as does Josh Humiston. I mean, it's a, it is a cultural thing, because if the younger guys really have to feel that support, 
You know, it's, I think it's important. Is that something that's part of bringing them up and mentoring them, is being yeah. there for them and being available to them? Yeah, I mean, and also knowing it's okay to make mistakes, because shit happens. Who are some of your favorite talent fires that you work with? And I'll take myself out of the mix. Is... <laughs> what a self-serving question that was. No, it? no. I'm well, yeah, I want to know who you're enjoying selling to. Well, there's enough, you know, Dawn Holiday's here. She's been a friend for God knows how many years, 25 years. She's here. You know, people that are still, oddly enough, like there's still a lot of people that care deeply about it, you know, and that's that, and there are some that just look at it as they're trying to get their numbers fixed for the month or... But Randy Hanner, I think, is a terrific talent buyer. She treats the money like her, like her own. Jody it is Goodman. Now. <laughs> right, I know. Jody Goodman, Sue Rosenbluth at AEG, Paul Talay is a, a remarkable guy. No, there, there's a bunch of them that I, that I quite like and respect. Yeah. What's your favorite part of the job? Going to the shows. Because seeing the result of the, the fruits of your labor when you know, you've set the tour up, I still like going to sound check, you know, and kind of the smell of the grease paint and the roar of the crowd. and that moment when the doors open and the band comes is going to come on stage. I still get a kick out of that. What's the worst part? If it wasn't for the artist, it'd be a hell of a job. Um, <laughs> the worst part would probably be just crunching numbers. The worst part, you know, it's funny. As a culture, we, we project qualities onto artists, athletes, actors, politicians that you wish they had, and the saying, never meet your heroes, is often very, very true, because you will find that they're just people with normal problems that either happen to play guitar well, or throw a baseball really fast, or be able to speak you know, into a microphone well. So it's the, per the personalities can be difficult when you know what the right thing for someone is to do, and they are being obstinate in a passive-aggressive way to be difficult for the sake of being difficult. I try to minimize those with my clients, and I'm lucky that way. But there are some you can't save. You have to. They, you cannot save them from themselves. Uh, you have That's one that likes to get into marketing personally. Likes to get into marketing personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a great artist, though. She's a great artist. No show yeah. <laughs> but it's easier if she leads it to us. Yeah. Your position at APA, you're kind of the consigliere, right? Like, I don't say that necessarily, but it's okay. <laughs> yes. So when I'm available to, for people to talk to, sure. So when something goes wrong with a relationship with a buyer and a show, it happens, there's a lot of agents. Will the agency stop working or put their pressure on across the board until the agent, the agent fixed that problem with the promoter? Is there a blacklist? No. No, there's no blacklist in terms of that. But if somebody's being financially irresponsible time after time, there becomes if there's a, a, trend. a word out. Yeah, if there's a trend that the checks are bouncing on sold-out shows... They, they tend, that word tends There's to spread. a bigger problem, yeah. Right, tends to spread, spread pretty quickly. As the label business has changed and tour support has gone, has gone away, mm -hmm. how does that affect building art, artists? It makes them count money more carefully, you know, and it makes us budget, help them budget things more carefully. But there were so many artists that, you know, in my career that I've worked with that weren't getting a giant push as a pop act was. So... I mean, what we have to look for, and what I've always looked for, is can the artist convey their music live, like a Springsteen can, like, a, you know, or the Avid Brothers can. Sorry, Don. You know, they can convey their music live. Can they do that? And that can overcome the lack of a label, that can overcome a bad label or a disinterested label. If they can create that magic every night, it will ultimately, hopefully, at least enable them to make a living where they're playing 1,000 seats, 2,000 seats, 
And then if any, everything clicks and God smiles upon them and they have something on the radio play. Right. And it'd be unfair to say that labels don't invest anymore. I mean, we're seeing that Atlantic is having their biggest years because they yeah. do invest and they're yeah. building the Bruno Mars Axe. It's happening. Yeah. It's not exactly a completely dead industry as much as no. we all act uh, as if they're gone. We just don't see those guys hanging out picking bar bills no, anymore. If you're a pop act, you know, that, that's what you want to be with, you know. And that's a different business still because it's radio, so just like country? Yeah. Okay, what is the biggest regret going back in your, in your career that you can think of? Probably not spending more time thinking about doing TV and film. Yeah, because I'm, I'm starting to do that now. I find it interesting. Again, because it's, it's an interest of mine in general. So probably not maybe looking at that. I noticed that those more. guys dress better and they make more money than the rest of us tend when you go to the agencies. You see the film guys are always in these nice suits and they drive these gorgeous cars and then the music guys are in jeans and t-shirts. It's like we may be more comfortable, but those guys definitely live more comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Favorite industry memory? I have a lot. Too, too many to talk about. I mean, it depends on, I mean, currently the, the Avid brothers from last night. So I don't really sit around and go through memory lane when you work on trying to build a re, uh, reunion tour <laughs> yeah trying to get some of those egos that haven't liked each other in the past back in the same room like yeah. how do you approach that there's stuff you can't overcome you know the resentments that happen from childhood or when they're teenagers carry on the rascals are the same way they did a wonderful reunion steve van zandt put an enormous amount of time and money into an effort into an emotional effort into and you know, something that happened in 1964 would piss the guy off again and it would be hard to put together. You know, it's, it's, it, they're very fragile and, uh, and cling to grievances of years past that are hard to put together. You know? I bumped into Martin Atkins earlier today and we were talking about the concept of public image limited touring again. Mm -hmm. And he had a smile on his face for a second and then he laughed me off because he's like, that's him and Johnny are never gonna be in the same room together even, mm -hmm. as far as on stage. And that, I think that's a sad thing because that would be a huge tour. Yeah. There's a bunch of them that everybody wants to see. There's the Smiths a bunch of would them. be huge. The Smiths would be huge. But, you know, you don't realize the fans, most of the fans don't realize the, the animosities that do exist between them and the amount of money that doesn't matter. And even though some of them could genuinely use it, they can't put aside their anger and resentment. And I think the ultimate, I think everybody wants the Talking Heads reunion, which would probably never happen either. Well, Pink Floyd would be a good one. Let me Thank ask you. you the question that when the phone call comes in from an agent or from a manager of the act, and they tell you they have time, they're ready to tour. How, how often are they just telling you they want to go out and you decide where they're going versus they tell you where to go hit, hmm. territorially speaking? 50-50. Depends on the nature of the tour. If there's a new album and you want to do a major market tour to support the new album, then a follow-up tour of secondaries. So sometimes that is your decision. Sometimes a band is just going to, wants to go work and how to optimize the regions to work. We're ready to work, point us in the right direction. Yeah. So that yeah. call comes in like, you know the act, just go get us. Go get us some dates. Yeah. yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Martin, thank you for coming to the Promoter thank 101 you interview. Man, that was a career highlight. I want to give a big thank you to the South by Southwest team for being so accommodating to the Promoter 101 staff and bringing this session to life. This is Joe Escalante from the Vandals, and you're listening to Promoter 101. Our second feature this week is legendary independent Italian concert promoter Claudio Trotta, recorded in London at the ILMC conference. Promoter 101, we are joined with one of the biggest promoters in Europe. 
Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you to invite me. So you've been doing shows for decades now, right? Yeah, actually, I started my own company in 1979. I was 22 years old. My first tour was uh, John Martin, a Scottish singer-songwriter, amazing one. And before that, I was working uh, in music business in the radio for three years and a half. Yes, an entire life. Okay, and you partner with some of the bigger companies too, right? You work with Live Nation from time to time? No, no, no way, no way. I was always independent, all the time independent, all okay. over my my career since 79. I feel I need to apologize. It did not go over well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in 79, when I start, was no internet, no euro. We had the lira, we have a local currency, not even the fax. We had the telex. I think you are too young even to know what it is with Alex. Uh, do I'm right or I'm wrong? I've never used one, but I know what it is, but only to make fun of another agent. No cell phone, nothing like that. So you would use the telex to send the offer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Telex, telephone. We stay a lot on telephone. We had meeting in uh, in the offices in uh, in London. Or I mean, most of the agency were already in London in that age. Now there are more agents uh, also in the rest of Europe. You have some people working from Germany, from Holland, from France, booking act. But when I start, the business was just London. Okay, and how many markets in Italy would you say there are that you promote in? How many markets? You mean how many towns? Yeah. I mean, you know, since I start, I probably promote and book worldwide over 15,000 uh, concerts. Worldwide? Yes, of course, because oh. I also work outside of Italy. I book uh, Italian act outside of Italy for a very long time. And actually, at the moment, I'm also booking Little Steven and the Disciples of Soul in Europe. In the summer of 2017, he will tour. And uh, after 27 years, he was not touring alone. Little Steven? Yes, absolutely. We are friends from a very long time. I used to be his promoter before I started to be the promoter of Bruce Springsteen. That's fascinating. So you do Springsteen. Who are some of the other big artists that you're working with this year? ACDC, Aerosmith, Metallica, Chemical Brothers, Iron Maiden. David Bowie, Phil Collins, Stevie Wonder, Billy Joel, everyone. So all acts that are just on the up and coming that no one's heard of yet. Yeah, but let me tell you, the majority of the, what we do as a company, as Barley Arts, is working with new act, with middle act. Developing? Yeah, developing and also working on a lot of niche. I mean, for example, in the next few days, I'll name you three acts that I have. Blackberry Smoke, Tedeschi and Trax Band, and Marcus King Band, you know? Beautiful music. We love a lot of roots music. Tedeschi Tracks is coming up? Yeah, yeah, Tedeschi Tracks. We just had them at the Ryman in Nashville for three nights. Great wow. band. Great band. I worked with their tracks before, of course. So you, you buy that from Wayne Forte Direct? Exactly. That is the agent we were talking about the Telex with, yeah. Yeah, we Wayne, we have a long relationship with uh, Joe Satriani and Guitar Free. I've done Joe so many times. We're a very good friend. I also worked with Steve Vai. With, I mean, uh, to be honest, in all these uh, years, I was uh, working with uh, all the type of act from America, Canada, Europe, uh, Australia, uh, Africa, Asia, a lot of things. So how many shows a year are you doing? It depends on the year, but including the Italian act touring uh, worldwide. For example, we have two or three underground act like uh, the Soviet Soviet, the Cyborgs and Judah that works solidly outside of uh, of Italy so 
could happen that we do 500 a show in a year or maybe 350, I don't know, something like that. That's a lot of volume. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we don't only do live music because I also create two departments, one about edutainment, exhibition, edutainment exhibition. I produce and book at the moment two exhibitions, one dedicated to space called Gateway to Space, that at the moment is in Varsavia, and the other dedicated to football. It's called Goal and actually is in Mechelen in Belgium. American football or European? No, 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 soccer. The real one. Real football. The real one. Okay, so you've started a second division to do expeditions. How many markets will you do that in and how long have you been doing that? I mean, uh, with uh, Gateway to Space, we were in South Africa, we were in Prague, we were in Budapest, we were in Brussels. We were in uh, in Istanbul. So you've been doing it for a while. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when you set these up, how long do they run normally? In every town, three, four months, maybe more. So basically you have uh, an exhibition that in a year, maybe stay in three different towns, more or less. That's amazing. And at the moment, we are working on two other projects. One is really fascinating because we call it Mysteries of the World. So it's... Uh, all about uh, the mystery, you know, the mystery of the Maya, the mystery of Area 51, a lot of mystery in history, in uh, science, in, uh, in geography, in nature. Quite interesting. You're quite an entrepreneur. You're doing it all. Yeah. And also, I have a third department that is food festival because I create with my older son, Federico, that is 29, we create a fantastic food truck festival called Street with uh, the double E. And uh, this is funny because we created, because in 2014, we were watching television, we were watching a program talking about the food truck in America. They are so beautiful. And so I said to my son, that is graduating gastronomic science, I said, you know what? Let's find out if there are food trucks in Europe and in Italy, and we can build a festival. We are very successful. We do this twice a year, spring and the autumn, in uh, seven, eight towns each period. Over the weekend is a free event with uh, 25 to 50 food trucks. And guess who is putting the music on? I have no clue. Live Nation? <laughs> Myself. I'm a music lover. I have over 10,000 vinyl, over 10,000 CDs. Okay, so you put up a stage, you book some acts, you bring the food trucks in. No stage, no act. It's only the star in our festival are the food trackers. The music is just reproduced. I mean, it's... Uh, records or whatever. Oh, okay. it's a playlist. But we play so many different type of music, nothing commercial, nothing, uh, not the so last So you get in for free, so you're getting a cut from the food trucks for being. Yeah, there. yeah, we get a fee from a food truck and we control all the drinks. We sell the drinks. Fucking genius. Thank you. <laughs> and we also do family show. We do walking with dinosaurs, uh, and we do things that you are aware about working with dinosaurs. Yeah. yeah. Big show. Yeah. Big production that plays arenas, right? Yeah. We play Freetown. We're going to be a, next time going to be 2019. With five years, we're not doing it. And every time we do Freetown, Milano, Torino, Bologna, nine shows in a week. Some serious volume. Yeah, yeah, it is, of course. So, is Ticketmaster in your market? Not yet. They will be in, uh, I'm going to think, in the second half for 2017 because we had uh, an exclusive deal with Ticket One that is owned by Evan Team. Most of the promoters in Italy have that. That will be over July 2017. And uh, Ticketmaster already announced that they will come in Italy because, of course, Live Nation is strong in Italy, so of course they will come. 
So you compete with them on a daily basis? I'm competing. It's a bit difficult to compete with a company that is controlling 500 artists with owning the management, is controlling the majority of the promoter worldwide, is controlling the majority of the festival, of the merchandising company, the database. I wouldn't say I'm competing because there is no competition power-wise. There is still competition maybe because uh, of the personality, of the credibility, of the relationship, of the idea, the creativity. But on, uh, an, on an economical base, there is no way to compete, of course. I don't see how we can compete. So obviously you've adapted with the food festivals and the different exhibitions. I mean, I still have a big client uh, like Bruce Princeton and SCDC working with me from ages and they still work with me and I think they still will work with me. I still have a lot of other clients like Chemical Brothers, The Cure, Mika that is in Italy is a big star and a lot of other artists of the past. And But obviously I've lost pieces of my business because these artists sign with Live Nation Worldwide, Metallica or Sting. I mean, you know all the story, come on. Well, I've heard some people are unhappy about the, how Metallica went down. Is AEG also playing in your market? Not really. AEG, as you're fully aware, is more involved in uh, either buying maybe the stones or whatever it is, but mostly on venues. So in Italy, they don't control any venue, so they are not really inside the market. But we have Warner Brothers, that own two promoter companies. One specializes in Italian artists and the other one in international and Italian artists. Warner Brothers is a concert promoter over here? Yeah, yeah. Warner Brothers, they control 100% of uh, one promoter in Italy and they control 60% of another one. I don't like that idea. I don't like the idea of, of someone controlling the world anyway. You know, <laughs> I, I thought it was bizarre. I don't know. You was at the Paul McGuinness uh, speech this morning. Yeah. Okay. Did you realize that at a certain point, he was saying that the tour in 2008-2009, the one in the round, was like a, a joke against the record company idea of a 360 degrees uh, deal. Okay. Do you remember that moment when he said that? Sure. Okay. And he said that, that idea of deal was immoral. Did you, did you the realize? 360 deals in moral, in his yeah. opinion? Paul McGuinness said that the 360 degrees deal that the record company had in mind at that age, at that time, was immoral. Did you hear that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Didn't you make a big laugh? So, I mean, let me understand. <laughs> He's immoral for the record company. He's not immoral for Live Nation. I don't get it. What's the difference? I'm asking you. Yeah, I don't think there is a difference. No, I'm telling you the difference. Live Nation control is even worse because at the time of the 360 degrees idea of the record company, they didn't control ticketing. They didn't control venues. <laughs> they didn't control database of fans club. So... <laughs> I don't understand it. I don't get it. Maybe you can explain to me. Yeah, well, when I figure it out, I'll give you a call. Um, but we're going to keep working on through and through on the podcast. You've been in the business for a very long time. Yes. You've seen the conglomeration of Clear Channel into Live Nation and Live Nation's development into a global promoter. Mm -hmm. When 
that happens, you've been able to adapt your company to compete or find ways to continue to bring in revenue and work. Yeah. What is the process that goes through your mind is you lose X to them when they buy the world. Yes. And you need to replace that revenue. Yeah, the process in my mind is that more and more I will uh, use my strength, my will of challenge, even if I'm going to be 60 years old in September. So, not bad. I'm going to use my creativity to continuing building and creating ideas, format, watching what is not covered and trying to cover in. I, at the moment, uh, I mean, I've mentioned to you the free field I'm working, uh, live music, uh, the entertainment exhibition, the four field, the family show and the food festival. But at the moment, I'm working on at least other five other projects, completely different, nothing to do with the one that I mentioned. I mean, number one, I'm a very curious man. I like the challenge. I can't stay one day without challenging, without thinking about, so what's next? You like working through the puzzle? Yeah, I love creating things. And number two, in a world like this, when you have one player owning, they're going to buy the audience too, one day. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever they're going to buy the audience, we will need to reply the audience of human beings with uh, animals. We will bid events for animals. I mean, beside this joke, <laughs> I'm not really that far from reality, you know. <laughs> uh, you really need uh, to be creative, uh, to don't moan too much, to fight. As you are probably aware, I'm a very strong fighter against the secondary ticketing that I think is a horrible crime, a very bad thing that ultimately will kill the live music industry and people don't realize this don't realize how bad is that and uh, let's talk about the vip side yes you've got to be seeing more of that as we all are internationally Mm -hmm. when the band is doing the vip and they're doing the lift yeah how do you feel when they come to you and tell you that none of that goes in the pot (laughs) yeah i have to tell you not all the time queen for example that is another one of my clients when all the time that we do vip tickets they are in in the pot but i I feel very good about that i wouldn't mention who else uh, wouldn't be is not in the pot because they are all of the others (laughs) 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 i don't need to mention them i think is uh, completely wrong personally i'm not really even a big lover of all these VIP tickets, you know, I mean I think that, yes, I mean I can understand few commodities, few facilities but I don't like the idea of selling the pit at a higher ticket price, I should do that with Bruce Springsteen, I don't do that, I can make more money, because I mean, as you are fully aware, with Bruce Springsteen, the fans want to stay in the front row and I have never sold that tickets at a higher ticket price, and I did already which is probably 30... why he stayed so loyal to you, because he's big on that yeah, too yeah, I had done 36 shows in my career with Bruce Springsteen I imagine some of those made money too yeah, of course <laughs> how big of a show is Bruce in Italy? is that an arena show? no, 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 no I mean, the last tour was 2016, uh, to San Siro Stadium and Circus Maximum in Rome, 160,000 people. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's a huge <laughs> act. Actually, we win award in 2017 for 2016 in Italy for the show that sells more tickets, the international act, etc. Yeah. 
your business is mind blowing. It's amazing, and I'm sure they've offered to buy you, right? Have you had the pitches? Uh, I have to say, very honestly, I think uh, they never even think about that because um, I too much speaks out. You see, I'm not a corporate man. I don't think I am I'm able to be a corporate man. If the to check me, were big enough, the honest answer is I don't know. But what I know in my mind, in my heart, that most likely I would say no anyway. Okay, well, that's a fair answer. Multiples of X, though, are an yeah. interesting thing when they get up to 9 or 10 X. You see, I like uh, to do the way I want to do. I like the idea of the entrepreneur, you know. And, uh, I mean, lots of my friends are inside Live Nation all over the world. I mean, Leon Ramakis is a close friend of mine. I love him. He's a great guy. Lots of them. But I don't like the idea of this corporation. I think that ultimately it's not good that one company is having so much control. Feels a little bit like a monopoly. Yeah, they're stronger than McDonald's. If you compare, McDonald's have a competitor on the same range. Live Nation don't. Internationally, you have an interesting view because in the UK and in the States, AEG is a real competitor to them. But I think when you start talking about Israel and Italy and going into yeah. some of the other parts of the world, you start to see that it's a dominant force of Let that. me ask you, how many independent promoters left are in, um, in America? Well, there used to be a lot more, but... Uh, when I mean independent, uh, I don't mean little promoter. I mean promoter like me. Okay. How many like me? Well, and you're a bigger promoter than we are. We do about 650 shows a year. Okay. Arenas down to clubs all over the country. So I think what you're talking about is a company our size. Okay. And I would think that there is us, there's Jam, there is the Franks Brothers Coalition. Okay. Another Planet, Hookah. So five or six. Bowery just sold, C3 just yeah. sold, AC sold. So five or six. Another five or six in Europe, no more than that. You see what I'm saying? You know what? I give you another angle. We are a species in extinction. We are like dolphins. We're going to get extinct? <laughs> we are, we're going to be extinct, of course. After us, going to be no one. I'm falling in love with now you, let man. me ask you, great. how do you think a young guy can even imagine to start to do this job now the way we start. Which is interesting because the borders to entry are a little ridiculous because you need to have so much money to play the game. And at the time and point where me and Jason started our jobs in the industry, you could buy single markets. But if you want to be taken seriously now as a promoter outside the club level, you need to be able to submit for many markets. Even if you're only going to get one or two dates, you have to send in six or seven offers for different venues or different markets hoping to get those two dates. So... If you don't have that ability to finance six dates on a run or play so many markets, you're only going to get a handful of dates a year. And if you want to really play the game at a real level and make any real money, you're going to have to have a bankroll that's going to be impossible to build at this also, point. Also, in our age, it's much more complicated to build a career for newcomers. It's, there are not that many artists that you think that are going to be in three years, arena actor, stadium act. We do have a problem anyway. All the, most of the live music industry, if you think about is surviving on maybe 50 artists, maybe more than 50. You're talking about the top tier, like, Three arena Three quarters of that artist are over 60, if not over 70 years old. Do I right or I'm wrong? You're telling me that sooner or later, when these acts die off, we have nothing to sell? No, I don't know. I, I'm simply <laughs> stating. I mean, you two are not young anymore. Bruce is not young anymore. Paul McCartney is not young. Stones... 
are not young anymore. The who are not young anymore. How many stadium acts are in the world besides this one? I'd be really depressed, but we don't get any of those fucking bands anyway, so I guess we'll be okay. There's not. I mean, Coldplay's a stadium act now. Yeah, okay. Jay-Z, Beyonce, Justin Bieber is now a stadium act. Yeah. Justin Bieber is an act. He's a stadium act now, yeah. yeah. So for the year to come, what are the things you're excited about? Since you depressed the shit out of me that every artist is about to retire and or die. No, I am excited about the challenge that uh, we'll be creating uh, lots of new things that I have in my mind and not only in my mind, I'm working solidly. I'm also excited about uh, working with a lot of uh, great talent as we do because we work with people from Ilbo to Paul Weller to Pretenders to... Uh, Lorena McKennett, lots of various type of act. How does Lorena do over here? Sold out everywhere in theaters, 2,000 capacity. She's a client of us from a very long time. She's a peach. We do a lot of business with her. She's fun. <laughs> and uh, Not too many artists hands-on get into marketing, but she talks marketing with you. Yeah, she's very good. Yeah, she's a businesswoman. She's really... She knows her audience. She's herself, you know that. Yeah, but not every artist is actually smart enough to do that. <laughs> she is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Good. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to enlighten us about thank you what's going on in, in the rest of the world. Thank you so much. Promoter 101. Bye-bye. The guy is a baller. The Springsteen show did more business than some people will do in an entire lifetime. Dan, thanks for picking that up while I am C. Hey, this is Brandon Frankel from Paradigm Talent Agency, and you're at Promoter 101. Our final interview this week is with our friend from Senbla Live, Mr. Ollie Rosenblatt. We had a chance to sit down with Dan in London. Promoter 101, we're joined by a dear friend, Ollie Rosenblatt. Thank you for joining us here at ILMC. Thank you for having me. It's beautiful to be here. So you are, I like to talk about when describing you, I say Austin Powers was stolen by the mojo that you are. My word, how exciting. What an accolade. You are style on a different level, my friend. Thank you I mean, so much. Let's talk about some of the things you do, because not only are you one of the most diverse personalities in the industry, and I mean that in the best possible way, and a finely stylish man. Oh, may we? Because you have a style of all your own. Thank you, my man. But you work with some really amazing different talent. Yeah, it's fun. We try and do things differently. We try and add value, create value, and look at things where no one else is looking at. And uh, I suppose I get excited by artists and concepts of shows that other people don't. And my passion for music and kind of drives that, really. Okay, so what are the things you're working on right now? We are working on Harry Potter, the uh, Film Alive Orchestra. We just announced La La Land. Uh, that's gone on pre-sale today. How'd that do? Yeah, good. Nice. It's an interesting one because uh, I loved the film when I saw it. You know, in the UK, some people loved it, some people hate it. You know, anything in the UK that I think gets a lot of publicity, some people kind of go against the grain and think... Counterculture? Yeah. Backlash? Yeah, a little bit, you know. But I think musically... That with a live orchestra is going to be unbelievable. And uh, we've got Godfather coming up. We've got Mark Armand, great kind of 80s pop icon. And uh, that's at a roundhouse and another you know, Progal Harem and working on another Burt Bacharach tour. So, um, yeah, some interesting stuff. A lot more film with live music things. Oh, I'm a fan. I like yeah, it. It's great. It's different. So what else is going on in your world right now? Musically or... Uh you want to know everything. Give me a short view of how the world works. I mean, your family was in entertainment, right? Well, I mean, part of the family. I mean, if you go back historically, my grandmother's nephew was Brian Epstein and, uh, you know, manager of the Beatles. And um, music's always been a part of my growing up, my childhood life. And I was a musician myself. I love music. Jazz musician and classical trumpet player. And uh, 
And that's how I got into this world, really. This crazy world of promoting. It all started from a passion of music, really, and understanding music, kind of getting grips with what I like. Now, you do a little bit more off the beaten path. It's not so much what's on the charts, a Coldplay or a Metallica mm-hmm. or a Mumford & Sons. You are more collective thing where... Burt Bacharach is something that you would do in your normal stable, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we look at things that people aren't looking at. You know, there's niche so in the market. you need a niche for yourself, yeah. Yeah, because what's the point of me trying to compete with Live Nation against, like, a Rihanna tour? There is no point. It's hard enough promoting anyway, but when you're doing massive pop acts, you know, the margins are so tiny. The risk is huge as well. We look at things, like I said before, where we can have value and create value and there is a market for it and also grow the market. And you're a tour promoter now, right? Yeah, we tour around the UK, everywhere as well. So there's more than just London in the UK? Yeah, we do like Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool, Scotland, Birmingham, Ireland. Alabama is a long way from London. I know, How does that route? Someone's got to get there though. Someone's <laughs> got to do something there. You've got to try it out there. One of these days, I'm going to have to get into that pace with you. That I sounds know, like baby. a good idea. Yeah, babe. It's great. I'm a great. fan. It's beautiful. I like what I do. I love what I do. It's a privilege to work in this business and to do what we do and, you know, come up with interesting and crazy ideas and do things people aren't even looking at, don't even know about. I love that. So you are personality galore. It's funny. I urged you to come to the States a couple of years ago to, to sit on a Polestar panel. Yeah, I love that. And um, you have since taken America by storm. Oh, really? That's very kind, baby. Yeah, you're part of the family oh, in the States. You're beautiful, like, baby. Names like Rick Farrell and oh, Jeff White. Love those boys. Pierce. Rich Mills, David Britt. These people think the world of you. Oh, that's sweet. I like to include myself on that list as well. Well, I think the world of you and them. I love them all. I love going out there. In all fairness, Rich Mills introduced you to Luke, and Luke introduced you to me. Exactly. I got to give those guys credit. I made it sound by me urging you to come Polestar. I I get it. Well, I introduced you to them, and in all fairness, I did urge you to come to Polestar. You did. But they urged me to meet you when I came to London two years ago or something. Two years ago, yeah. And we've become fast friends. Yeah, absolutely. We became friends from the minute we met each other. We got it. We it got the destined. joke. Yeah, absolutely. You but took I, me to that jazz club. Legendary oh my jazz God, club. Yeah, I'll remember that. Ronnie Scott's. Ronnie to Scott's. To see Nigel Kennedy, one of my artists I promote. Oh, and then, terrible. And then terrible you, noise. <laughs> and, then you uh, left, and then you just got up and left. I was like, bro, uh, baby. I didn't shady accent. I told uh, you I was leaving. <laughs> you just got up. I was like, baby, there's, more, there's more to come. It ain't an interval yet. Come well, on. And the problem with it, and I get it, the problem was the sound guy uh, was too much. letting him run in clipping levels, and fantastic performer. But that night, in that small venue, yeah, it was too much. they was were too running much. sound like it was a rock jazz show, Yeah. and that tiny venue, it was just pushing too hard. That was hard. his Hendrix was, show, wasn't it? Was, it? Yeah, it was, yeah it, was, it was painful. And I just, it was. My ears were bleeding at the end of it. Yeah. There's just not enough like good drugs to get me through it. <laughs> I think you did what I wanted to do, but I couldn't leave because I was invited and easy at that promote, so luckily it wasn't my show <laughs> that night. Well, luckily it wasn't uh, my no. show. Yeah, well, it wasn't mine. So I was totally it wasn't fine me. with that. But yeah, it was one That of was those great. Things. We met at that bowling place eating chicken wings. Yeah, we started the night bowling. In, in, and I was like, do you want to bowl? And you're like, nobody bowls here. We got a drink here. Nobody's drink ever here. at the bowling alley. And then we went. It was in Brick it's Lane. It's a peasant sport, right? Yeah. We got stuck in and I got a little spicy. So that's a little insight on why maybe uh, the Brooklyn Bowl didn't work here in London is it's considered a peasant sport. Yeah. I think also that outside of the Indigo and the main arena, extra space in that bubble have always struggled to do good business. And um, 
I think the yeah, Brooklyn Bowl, it was a weird setup and a weird concept, but I like the idea of it, but I think it was a weird kind of setup and it never really took off. It was like, you know, when you went there, I think the chicken wings were better than the axe performing. Well, that'll happen, right? Yeah. But we started with some mild and then you pushed me into the spicy. Then you yeah. took me for some Indian food. Oh, yeah. And then we good. wound up at Ronnie Scott's. It was a fun night. It was nice. Oh, and there was a band before that. You took me to a rock club. Yeah. When you gave we... me a proper tour yeah, of I London you, in a I... very short time. Yeah, but we've got more to come, my man. Don't you worry. There's more to come. We're, we're just getting, beginning, we're baby. We're going some trouble, huh? Oh, big time. We're just beginning, baby. Anyway, I feel like there's so much to come. Is I believe you'll be a recurring guest on the podcast. I hope so. I like it. And I just thought it was important that we introduce you to our viewership. Well, because I think if you follow Ollie and his magical, mystical, wild adventures, you're going to have a <laughs> smile on your face. Well, come join the party. Come join the tribe. Thank you for being here, Ollie. Thank you, baby. Promoter Appreciate 101 it. in London. Lovely. Making Luke jealous by hanging out with his, one of his favorite people. Love, Lukey, baby. Swear to God, Mike Myers had Ollie in mind when he created the Austin Powers character. Love him so much. It's Barry Dickens from ITB, and I'm on Promoter 101. This week, we have a special treat. Music journalist and host of the Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon joins us to bring us up to speed on the summer tour announcements. Promoter 101, excited. Mitch LaFon from Rock Talk is joining us today. Mitch, thanks so much for making time. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Well, clearly one of the better podcasts out there right now, and you talk to all the rock bands. To talk about what I really love, which is music and all these great albums and all these great concerts over the years. It's just nice that at this point in my career, people are coming to me and saying, we want to talk to you. I'm glad it's all working out. No, it's cool. It seems like them coming to you makes it a whole lot easier, like the fish jumping in the boat, so to speak. Yeah, it really is. Well, it seems like the day of uh, the 80s rock is coming back full circle. Arena rock is big again. And as the summer's coming up, Bands are starting to announce. There seems to be a lot of traffic. What are you excited about that's coming back on the road this year? There's four right off the top of my head. Listen, you've got Alice Cooper with Deep Purple. You've got the Scorpions also coming out with Megadeth. Guns N' Roses, of course. Slash and Axel, that's it. I mean, it's like Aerosmith. If you throw Joe Perry and Steven Tyler on a stage, to me, you've got Aerosmith. And with Slash back in the band... Even when they're playing those Chinese democracy songs, they sound like Guns N' Roses. And so I'm down for that. And um, but oh, of course, Metallica. How can you forget Metallica? The band that never ceases to amaze and never fails to deliver live. I'm excited about the Metallica tour. They've announced they're playing Seattle. Metallica is not about being an artiste. Metallica is about rocking. And I think they understood that in this album. Kudos to, to Metallica for understanding their fan base and delivering the album we wanted. Seems like they're putting themselves in the scenario of being the Aerosmith of the next generation. Yeah, the Aerosmith, the Led Zeppelin, the uh, the everything. Now, what do you think of the combo packages that we're seeing in the amphitheaters these days? Tesla, Poison, Def Leppard. It's absolutely perfect. It's nice to go sit into an hour and a half of Def Leppard, but it's also nice to hear an hour and a half of Def Leppard and hear an hour of Poison and hear 45 minutes of Tesla. It's just perfect because as fans in that era, we all grew up listening to MTV and radio. We heard a mix of that and Great White and Rat and... So yeah, stick them all together. Stop being this, oh, I got to go out on my own. No, you don't. 
we'd like to pay 100 bucks and hear the top 10 hits from three of our favorite bands rather than one of our favorite bands. One plus one plus one equals five, right? You have to give value for the money. We've gotten to a point where seeing a $50 ticket or a $60 ticket is becoming more and more rare when you're not in a club. You know, when you're in a, an arena, you're looking always at 100 bucks, 95 bucks, 150, 200. If you're going to charge that, and sometimes there's just no way around it because of all kinds of costs and this and that, then at least give us value. I mean, if Tesla comes out or, or Def Leppard comes out and they're using the local unknown band, well, why am I giving you 150 bucks to see a guy that I wouldn't even go see play in the park, right? Why, I mean, why am I bothering? But now you're giving me Tesla and Poison and go, okay, all right, well, we'll call it a wash. I'll give a little, you give a little, everybody's happy. All right, so there's some other big package tours out the summer. Foreigner and Cheap Trick are going out together. Mm-hmm. Sticks and Ario. It's like peanut butter and jelly with them. It's like you buy one, you get the other one automatically. Almost like we will rock mm-hmm. you and we are the champion. You can't separate them anymore. No, and that's perfect. Foreigner with the new singer is absolutely phenomenal. Well, now talking about throwing bands together, it seems like we got to talk about the classic just getting announced for both New York and L.A. Earth, Wind & Fire, the Doobie Brothers, Journey, Steely Dan, Fleetwood Mac and the Eagles headlining each night. What do you think? It's absolutely phenomenal. It's almost like a mini festival. You know, here in Montreal, we have Heavy Montreal, we have Oceaga, and we have a couple of festivals that come out. That right there, that classic show should be a festival that we bring here and it should travel around. Just get a whole day outside. I was sort of intrigued, though, by the Eagles, right? Didn't they retire? Well, I think they lost a member recently. Glenn passed away, obviously. Right. And I believe that after he passed away, they said, okay, well, we're done. Consider the last tour the farewell tour. But you know what? At some point, members are going to change for whatever reason, unfortunate in this case, but the songs still live on. And I think that's really the message in all of this, is that the songs live on. Cool. Well, the podcast is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon, and it's on Podcast One Podcast Network. Thanks so much for taking time, Mitch. Thank you. Mitch is certainly dialed in on all the rock. Make sure you check out his podcast, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. You can follow Mitch at Mitch LaFon on Twitter. Hi, I'm LX. And I'm Umong Shah. And, and we're, we're on, on Promoter 101. 101. Well, that's it for this week's Promoter 101. Coming up next week, we feature X-Rays, Steve Strange. From Paradigm, Brandon R. Frankel. The legendary Don Holiday from San Francisco. And Uma Shah and Ali X come together to talk about the artist-manager relationship for a breaking artist. In the weeks to follow, guests will include Stuart Galbraith. Renatus Nakujas, Ted Cohen, Triple H's Whitney Bond, Sasha Mumbaji, Brian Zisk, Don Holiday, Don Atkins, Ed Bricknell, Harry Dickens, Jason C. Miller, Paul Lohr, Ben Mitch, Trip Brown, Joe Escalante, Tom Chauncey, Dave Chumley, Neil Dixon, and so many more. If you have thoughts or feedback on the podcast, we want to hear about it. Send us an email to steiny at promoter101.net. And you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at W. Luke Pierce, and Dan is at The Jew on Twitter. Be sure to subscribe to Promoter 101 wherever you podcast. And if you like what you're hearing, please tell some friends or drop us a review. We really want to know what you think. Okay, Luke might. I don't really give a shit. If you miss any of the past podcasts, you can always go back and listen at www.promoter101.net. Some of our past guests include... Tom Windish, Jamie Loeb, Tom Ross, Mark Cates, Kevin Lyman, Brian O'Connell, Stuart Ross, Jay Massiano, Wayne Forte, Mark Geiger, Bill Siddons, Andrew Druskin, Jim Runge, and the great Shep Gordon. I'm Luke Pierce, and for Steiny, have an awesome week. 
This is Phil Rodriguez from Move Concerts, and you're listening to Promoter 101. 